Uh, but hey, good morning, Life Point. My name is Pastor Adam. Uh, if we haven't met before, I would love to get to know you. I'd love to get to meet you. So come say hi. But if you are new and joining us today, whether you're here in the auditorium, whether you're watching online, I'm really glad that you are. Um, so I encourage you, though, to text welcome to the number on the screen, 406-219-0314. And you follow the prompts. And, and I like you hear a lot. It's like, this is a really good tool. It's about building relationships. And we want to be building relationships with each other. So I highly encourage you to text welcome to that number. Also, we have a weekly newsletter that goes out every single Friday. So if you are wondering, hey, what is happening at LifePoint? That newsletter is a great way to stay in the loop with what is happening. Uh, you can go to lifepointmt.org slash subscribe to get signed up for that newsletter. Uh, but if you got your Bibles this morning, open them up to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 21. Today we get to continue our series taking a look at the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, and real quick, as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Like, how do you trust God in the seasons of hardship? Like, how, how do you trust God when it seems like you're walking in the wilderness? You know, a little while back, I, I heard a, a story of this, of this guy. His name is Inky Johnson. Uh, and Inky's a pretty cool guy. One, he has a really cool name, uh, but he's a really cool guy. Uh, he played football for the University of Tennessee. Uh, and in his junior year, he got a contract with the NFL. And this was Inky's dream. Inky, Inky grew up in, in a two-bedroom house with 14 other people. He, he would wake up every single morning at 4 a.m. to run drills, to train and practice for this game of football. And this was Inky's dream, to play it for a living. And finally, in his junior year at the University of Tennessee, he got a contract with the NFL. And this was like a multi-million dollar contract, top 30 pick. All Inky needed to do was play the next nine games and he would be in the NFL. And Inky was playing a game against Air Force. And at one point in the game, he went in to make a tackle. And, and as soon as Inky made contact, he blacked out. A few moments later, he wakes back up. Some of his teammates standing over him saying, like, come on, Inky, get up. Let's go finish him off. And Inky says, I can't. So they cart Inky off the field, and they take him to a hospital. And there they're running a bunch of tests on him. And and finally, a doctor comes in and, and says, we need to get Inky into surgery right now or he is going to die. And Inky's sitting there thinking, like, die? Like, you could have used a synonym or something, <laughs> but you're just going to say it. Die. And the doctor sees that Inky is confused and, like, questioning what's going on. So the doctor looks at him and says, you ruptured your subclavian artery. And if we don't get you into, the, if we don't get you into surgery right now, I guarantee you will not be here in the morning. So they cart Inky into surgery. And after the surgery, Inky wakes back up and he realizes that he can't move his right arm. Both his right arm and hand are completely paralyzed. Like his dreams of the NFL, gone. His whole life changed in a day. So Inky decided to choose a different career path. He decided to go and tell people his story and tell people about the love of Christ. And a couple years later, he was getting interviewed by ESPN. And they said, like, Inky, wouldn't you want to be in the NFL? And Inky's response was, man, if you only knew. If you only knew that my dad got saved because of this injury. And if you only knew. If you only knew that my three friends who are now in the NFL got saved because of this injury. 
Like, man, seeing the impact that God has had in my life and the life of those around me through this injury, man, I wouldn't trade this injury for the world. This is probably one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me. And he says, you want to know how I know God has me in the right place and how he's using this injury for the glory of his name? Is that when I'm about to go on stage and, and proclaim the love of Christ, I get an even greater feeling than I was about, when I, than I was about to run on the field to play a game. Like, man, if you only knew. Seeing what God has been doing in my life and the life of those around me through this injury, man, if you only knew. You know, Inky's story is, is, is pretty incredible. And, and if you follow him on social media, on, on Twitter, he has about half a million followers. But he posts the same thing every single day. Every single day, he says, today is the day the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Every single day, post the same thing. So coming to that question, like, how, how do you trust God when, when life is falling apart? Like, how do you trust God when the circumstances are not good? How do you, how do you trust God when you're in the wilderness? Like, like do, 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 we, do we come to God? Do we ask God? And we're like, God, why is all this hurt? Why is all this hardship happening in my life? Or do we, like, kind of view it on the other end? More like Inky. Who says, I wouldn't trade this hardship. I wouldn't trade this hurt for the world. Why? It's, it's developing me. It's, it's producing fruit. Because today, as we're coming into to, to the book of 1 Samuel, uh, we are going to be taking a look at a part of David's life where David is in the wilderness. Scared. Alone. On the run. Afraid. You know, the circumstances in his life are, are not looking good. But sometimes if God is going to use you greatly, he allows you to be wounded deeply. Like he allows you to walk through the wilderness. And this comes into the bottom line this morning. The, the, the bottom line this morning is, is to trust God even in the wilderness. Like even in the wilderness, even in the, those seasons of hurt, even in those seasons of hardship, that like we trust God because our trust in God is not circumstantial. It's not, hey, God, I'm going to trust you when things are good, but as soon as things get hard, like I'm going to start looking elsewhere. Like, it, 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 God is still good, even in the wilderness. And we're going to see this kind of unfold in, in the life of David. So I hope by now you are in 1 Samuel chapter 21. We're going to be starting at verse 1. And this is what it says. It says, David went to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest. The king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet in a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us. As usual, whenever I set out, the men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that has been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doag, the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. Will you join me as we open up this morning in, in prayer? Father, we're grateful for today, and we are grateful for your love and your grace and your mercy that we get to celebrate, that we get to rejoice in. Lord, we're grateful for the ability to gather here today openly and freely to declare that you are Lord. 
And Lord, I pray today as we take a look at this season in David's life, Lord, I pray you give us the eyes to see what you want us to see. Lord, I pray that we, we realize where our trust is. Lord, I pray our trust rests solely in you, that our trust is not circumstantial. And Lord, I pray today as we open up your word and you allow me to speak, as you give me breath to speak, I pray that you give me the words to speak. And Lord, do not let me say anything that you do not want me to say. And Lord, we pray that your presence shapes our life and changes our life and grows our life. And Lord, I pray that our lives bring you glory and honor. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So a quick little like recap, very briefly, maybe you're joining in on this series, um, or maybe you just need to recap from, you know, a couple weeks. Uh, so David has been anointed as king. Uh, he, and Saul at this point is still positionally the, the, the king. He's in charge, he's acting like the, the king. Uh, David has slain a giant when he was a boy. He has won the hearts of the people. He won the heart of Saul's daughter, and he be great, became a great captain in Saul's army. And Saul is threatened by David. Uh, at this point in Saul's life, he, he's very, very paranoid. Uh, so Saul has, in essence, turned David into public enemy number one. And Saul is trying to kill David. Uh, last week, Pastor John took a look at this friendship between David and Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son. That they had this bond, they had this friendship, even though, as Pastor John put out, they were kind of gunning for the same thing. You know, he, J Jonathan is the son of the king, so he should be the next king, but David is the anointed king. But they had this bond, they had this, this friendship, and David was pretty sure that Saul wants him dead. And Jonathan was like, I'm going to do some investigation. Like, let me find out. I'm going to make sure. Uh, so Jonathan does, and he finds out that Saul, his dad, the king, is trying to kill him. Uh, so he is able to go and tell David that, yeah, Saul wants you dead. And this is where we're picking up the story. Uh, David probably left, left Jonathan on the outskirts of Gibeah. He headed a few miles south to Nob to a priest named Ahimelech. Now, real quick, we have to piece together some of the narrative because the text isn't, isn't very, very clear. Um, so back at the beginning of this, of this story, of the book of 1 Samuel, uh, we saw Eli and his sons. Uh, the tabernacle was at Shiloh. Uh, this is where the ark was. This is where the sanctuary was. Uh, but then we read that the, the ark was captured by the Philistines and, uh, you know, toward these, you know, Philistine cities. But then by an act of God, it came back to the Israelites, to Beth Shemesh. And the text isn't very clear, but it seems that at some point, everything was relocated to Nob. Nob seems to have become the, the city of the priests, and the tabernacle was relocated there. So David runs, and he flees. He's running for his life. He flees to a city named Nob, to a priest named Ahimelech. But even though David is on the run for his life, do you notice where he runs to? He runs to the house of the Lord, to a priest. Back in chapter 19, very similar circumstance, David was on the run once again. Where did he run to? He ran to Samuel, the prophet, and Ramah. So David here is seeking out support and help from both the prophet and the priest, and he is the anointed king. So look what happens in verse 1 of 21. It says, David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest. The king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. 
As for my men, I have told them to meet in a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. So a lot of the book of 1 Samuel is about leadership. And something to keep in mind here is decisions have consequences. The words that you speak matter. The decisions that you make matter. The actions that you take matter because, friend, decisions have consequences. And what is biblically correct, like, might not sit well with us. Uh, because it appears here David is, is lying. I mean, the king did not send him on a mission. And this is something very important to keep in mind. Like, David is still a human. He is still a man. Just because we read about him in the Bible and he's anointed king and he's going to become a great king, he's going to point forward to Christ, he's still a man. This isn't the first time David has messed up and it's not going to be the last. That David is still human. Remember, David is on the run for his life. He has no one around him. He doesn't even have a weapon. He's hungry. He's tired. Saul is trying to kill him. He's afraid. And really, scholars are all over the place here on this. Some would say David did nothing wrong in this whole chapter. But the problem with that is in the next chapter, David recognizes he did something wrong. Some have suggested that there might be a double meaning behind David's words here. And David's words would almost be true if we understood the king to mean God. Like, yes, God did charge David with a secret matter, mainly that, that future kingdom. David's men are going to meet him in a certain place, but David doesn't know that yet. So most likely, though, David is doing exactly what it appears he's doing, deceiving Ahimelech in order to calm his fears, in order to win his trust. And this deception is, is going to have consequences that David would deeply regret. Like David knew he needed Ahimelech's help with food and weapons, but in reality, what Ahimelech gives him is something of far greater value. Look what happens in verse 4. It says, but the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us. As usual, whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How, how much more so today? So the priest gave him consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that has been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. So Ahimelech gives David a really weird response. <laughs> Um, he has no normal bread on hand. He only has consecrated bread. So this is bread that is to be used for the tabernacle. Uh, this, is, this is something that the Lord commanded. In, in Leviticus 24, verse, verse 5, this is, this is what the Lord commands. It's, he says, take the finest flour and bake 12 loaves of bread using two-tenths of an ephah for each loaf. Arrange them in two stacks, six in each stack on a table of pure gold before the Lord. By each stack, put some pure incense as a memorial portion to represent the bread and to be a food offering presented to the Lord. This bread is to be set out before the Lord regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath, on behalf of the Israelites as a lasting covenant. It belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in the sanctuary area because it is the most holy part of their perpetual share of the food offerings presented to the Lord." So this, this, this bread that, that they're talking about, this is an offering to, to the Lord. It was to be eaten by the priest, says Aaron and his sons. 
in the sanctuary area, in the presence of the Lord. And God kind of goes into it like this is the most holy part of their diet. So what it was, it was eating God's bread with God in the house of God as like a guest and, and as, a, as a friend. And then God commands it is to be set out Sabbath after Sabbath. So, so you know, if you know the like Levitical laws, you can't help but wonder why Ahimelech gives David such a weird response. Why, why he gives him this bread. Like what prompted Ahimelech, in essence, to bend the law? Like why? But what, why Ahimelech does this really isn't as important as what he did. Like he gave him this bread. And remember, uh, Th- this, this is of really like a lot greater significance than Ahimelech probably knew, than David probably knew. Because remember, just as Saul was given loaves of bread by three men going up to Bethel after his anointing as king, here David is given three loaves of bread by a priest, or giving loaves of bread. You know, so the significance of this can, 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 can be kind of elusive. But what it is, is it is God providing for his king. Like, remember, the priests were supposed to eat this bread with God in the house of God as a guest, as a a friend. And now David, the the man after God's own heart, is eating this bread. And I don't think David realizes it. You know, even Jesus referenced this event. One day, Jesus and his disciples, they were walking through fields of grain. And and in Luke chapter 6, verse 1, this is what it says. It says, one Sabbath... Jesus was going through grain fields, and his disciples began to pick heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. He also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You know, I love how Jesus points to this event that we're taking a look at as his defense. Like Jesus was saying, like David went, he ate the bread that was only lawful for the priesthood, that this bread was to be eaten in the presence of the Lord with the Lord. And Jesus is in essence like saying, the disciples right now are eating heads of grain in the presence of the Lord. Like the son of man is Lord over the Sabbath. Jesus is like, I am the Lord over the Sabbath. You know, because just as his bread was to be used in the tabernacle, the tabernacle was the, the place that God's presence was centralized and like localized. And just as there was bread in the tabernacle, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You know, j- just as there was an altar at the tabernacle, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Just as there were lampstands in the tabernacle, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Just as there was a door going to the tabernacle, Jesus says, I am the door. Just as there was a curtain going to the courtyard of the tabernacle, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Just as there was anointing oil for the tabernacle, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Oh, friend, he is is Lord of the Sabbath. But, But coming back to this story, coming back to this story. Ahimelech gives David this consecrated bread. And then immediately the author shifts our attention to something lurking in the room. Just for a verse. Look look what he says in verse 7. He says, Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doag the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. I know we talked a lot about the significance of this bread that was given to David, David here at Nob. But remember how he came to get that bread. 
It was with lies and deceit. And remember, decisions have consequences. And the narrator is just pointing out this figure in the room for just a verse. And something we'll find out is, is he's a servant of Saul. Earlier in chapter 19, we, we found out that all of the servants of Saul were informed of his intentions to kill David. It says he was an Edomite. Edomites are historic enemies of Israel. It says he was a chief shepherd. In the Hebrew, it means like he's the chief of the herdsmen, or it can mean like the strong man of the herdsmen, or like the bully of the herdsmen. So we have an Edomite servant of Saul lurking in the shadows at Nob. And we'll meet Doag again, unfortunately. But then we pick right back up in verse 8. It says, David asked Ahimelech, do you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want to take it, take it. Or if you want, yeah, if you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. So just as Ahimelech had bread on hand, he also had a sword. And this sword happened to be the sword of Goliath the Philistine. And, and back in chapter 17, we, we took a look at it, that David killed Goliath, and he took his sword, cut off his head. He took that head to Jerusalem. We talked about the significance of that. But then it says he took his sword and put it in his tent. And at some point, this sword ended up here at Nob. And now David is asking for a sword. You know, not long ago in this narrative, it was many, many years, but four chapters, David was going to go fight someone that no one else could fight. All the men of Israel were too afraid to go and fight Goliath, yet this boy who is, who's either too small or too young to be in the army says, I'll go fight him. And remember, remember what, what, what Saul did when David was going to go fight Goliath. Here, take this armor, take this sword. And David's like, no. And, and, and then he went out and fought Goliath. And, and what David says, he says that, that the Lord has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, and the Lord will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Like, I remember this boy in chapter 17 standing before Goliath, before a giant, shouting. And in, in, in chapter 17, verse 47, this is what David says to Goliath. He says, all those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Friend, remember who delivers. David, when he was a kid... He knew that the battle was the Lord's, that he's not just saved by the sword or the spear. His trust isn't in the sword or the spear. It's in the Lord. But now here at Nob, David's saying, I need a sword. And do you notice where that sword is? Ahimelech tells him it's behind the ephod. The ephod is a, is a garment. It's a linen garment that priests would wear when they would go inquire of the Lord. It's behind the ephod, David. So now David is going to have to move that out of the way. That reminder of seeking the Lord's direction out of the way in order to grab the sword. Now David has food. He has a weapon. And remember, we're taking a 30,000-foot view of the book of 1 Samuel. So we're going to just jump ahead very quickly here. Um, so David goes from Nob, and he flees to Gath. And then when the king of Gath hears uh, that David is there and, and he hears who David actually is, 
uh, you know, that he's the one that they sing about, that they dance about. They sing songs saying, you know, uh, Saul has slain thousands, David his tens of thousands. David heard that the king of Gath knows who he is, and David was afraid. So what he did is he acted crazy. He acted like a madman. Uh, in, in, this, in this culture, they, they believed that if you killed someone who was crazy, that that spirit would come to you. So he, David's trying to save his life. So he acted crazy. And then eventually he saw an opportunity and he fled from Gath and he went to a cave. And it was in this cave that he writes a few psalms, such as Psalm 142. If you want to see where David's mind is at this point in his life, go, go, go take a look at Psalm 142. Because he writes that psalm in this cave when he's on the run. And it was in this cave that those who were hurting, those who were broken, those who were distressed gathered around David. And David became their commander. About 400 men, it says. 400 men came to David. And then we're picking it up here. And in chapter 22, verse 3, it says, From there David went to Mitzpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and he stayed with them as long as David was in the stronghold. But then a prophet, Gad, said to David, do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. So, so David tells the king of Moab, let his father and mother stay there until he learns what God is going to do for him. David is in, is in essence saying, like, I don't know what God's doing here. Like, I don't know what God is going to do. And then a prophet comes and tells him to leave the stronghold. So he does. And then, I know we're moving fast, but then the narrator shifts our attention to Saul, to Saul's perspective. And Saul and his, he's with his advisors, and at this point in Saul's life, like I said, Saul is extremely paranoid. He, he thinks everyone around him is conspiring against him, that everyone has sided with David, that even his closest men are on the opposite team. And then Doag pokes his head in. And says, I saw David, like he was at Nob. And Ahimelech, the priest, inquired of God for him. So Saul orders all the priests of Nob to come and meet him in Gibeah. And this is where we're picking up in verse 13. It says, Saul said to him, to Ahimelech, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him, so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today? Ahimelech answered the king, Who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard, and highly respected in your household? Was that day the first day I inquired of God, of him, God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. But the king said, You will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. And the king ordered the guards at his side, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. The king ordered Doag, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doag the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men and women, its children and infants, its cattle, donkey, and sheep. But one son of Ahimelech, son of Atub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled and joined David. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord, 
And then David said to Abiathar, that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your whole family. Stay with me and don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You will be safe with me. So Saul has turned from a bad king to an evil one. It, it, this is really one of the one of those bad events. Like this is really one of, like one of the worst events in like the Old Testament. This was just it was a bloodbath. Saul orders his men to kill the priest, but not even Saul's closest men would touch the priest. So he turns to Doag the Edomite and he kills eighty five of them, and then he goes to Nob and slaughters men, women, children, infants. Like this is one of those stories in the Bible that you read about and, and you wonder, like, why is this here? Like, why is this story here? So a lot of times we just brush over it. But what is the significance of this story? It says one priest escaped. It was actually fulfilling a prophecy earlier in the, earlier in the, in the book of 1 Samuel. But one priest escaped. His name was Abiathar, and his name means my father remains. And, and no doubt, God is the father of that name. Now, he flees and he goes to David. Now, a man with that name comes to David. Remember, at this point, David's afraid. He's like, I don't know what God's going to do for me. And a priest who, whose name is God Remains shows up to David. <laughs> David's been running, afraid, wondering what God is going to do. Yet, David, how can you not see what God has already done? Let's take a look. When you were in that stronghold... A prophet named Gad came to you, told you to get out of that stronghold. David, who sent that prophet? When you were hiding in a cave, 400 men came to you and gathered around you. You became their captain. David, who sent those men? You fled to a city named Gath. David, who did you kill that was from Gath? A giant named Goliath of Gath. When you were in Gath, you heard reports of the songs and dances, the songs of people saying, Saul has slain thousands, David his tens of thousands. David, how did you kill tens of thousands? Like, was it not the Lord? And here in Gath, you were being reminded of it. When you, when you came to Nob, to a priest named Ahimelech, he gave you bread that was supposed to be eaten and enjoyed in the presence of the Lord. David, do you know the significance of that bread? God is providing for his anointed king, and, and then you needed a sword, and you were given the sword of Goliath. David, when you picked up that sword, did the memories of how you came to earn that sword flood your mind? Like, because, David, you, you earned that sword not with lies and deceit. It was not with fear. It was by trust in the Lord. David, how did you come to get that sword? And, David, who was with you at Nob? Who was with you at Nob? You know, this, this was something I was caught up on, like, all last week. Who was with David at Nob? Because if you, if you, pay, if you pay attention to the text, in, in Luke chapter 6, when Jesus is referencing this event, Jesus says that David and his companions, that David shared this bread, yet in this story, in this event, in 1 Samuel 21, Ahimelech, in, chapter, in verse 1, Ahimelech's afraid. He says, David, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Yet Jesus in, in Luke 6, it says, no, 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 there, there was someone there. Someone was with David. David, who were you with? 
Remember, this bread that was given to David was to be eaten in the presence of the Lord, with the Lord. And I don't think Ahimelech saw who David was traveling with. And I don't think David realized it either. You remember back in chapter 16, verse, verse 13, when David is anointed as king, this is what it says. It says, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully onto David. Samuel went to Ramah. It says, from that day on, that the spirit of the Lord came upon David. So even though David was on the run, afraid, scared, doesn't know what's going on, he's not alone. And, and Christian, remember that. Remember who you're traveling with. Because here's the thing, for, for us who have surrendered our lives to Christ and placed our faith and our trust into Christ, the spirit of God dwells within you. Friend, remember who you're traveling with. Even if you're like David here, you're afraid, you're scared, you're stressed, you're hurt, you don't know what God is going to do, friend, you're not alone. Remember who you're traveling with and be reminded of God's goodness. That God was good the day you came to know him. God was good that day to David at Nob. God's good today, and let me tell you, friend, he's going to be good tomorrow. Remember who you're traveling with. As we're closing, I want to invite the worship team back up here. And I think David's learning this lesson. It's the same lesson we have to learn. That lesson is actually the bottom line. Trust God even in the wilderness. Because some lessons can only be learned in the wilderness. For 10 years, David is going to be in this wilderness. On the run running from Saul, but, but being developed, learning brokenness, surrender, integrity. And being developed isn't always pleasant. But something you'll learn is that in the wilderness, sometimes the only thing that you can do is trust God and be reminded. Be reminded of his goodness. Like here in this story, I don't think David sees it. But time and time again, David is being reminded over and over of God's goodness. I wonder how many times we just walk past those reminders. And if only we would slow down. Be reminded that God was good. That he's still good. And he's going to be good. Will you join me as we close in prayer? Father, we're grateful that you are good. Lord, I pray we're reminded of it. I pray you let us slow down so that we can see it, that we can rejoice in it, that our trust has roots that are not shaken, that are not swayed by the circumstances of life. Lord, I pray that our trust in you has a firm foundation, that it is built on the rock of Christ and what Christ has done. Lord, let us be reminded. Lord, I am grateful. I'm grateful for your goodness. I'm grateful for what you have done yesterday, what you will do today, and Lord, we will be grateful for what you will do tomorrow. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.